Well, don't be discouraged. It is a long passage. And yet, um, we have some things that, that God's just laid out for us today, that he's put in front of us. We're, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark for a long time now. Um, if you were here in the beginning, then you remember now over a year ago when we, when we opened this sermon series, this is one of the passages that we looked at. The idea that Jesus is building a kingdom, and his kingdom is based on his gospel work, like what he has come to do. That he has come not to be served as the king of that kingdom, but as the king to serve to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And so we actually looked in the beginning. We said, hey, we're going to get to this verse one day, and today's the day. And so I'm excited about that. Like, today we get to see Jesus teaching his disciples, as he's been doing for a long time now, continuing to call them and say, listen, the kingdom that I'm building is different from the kingdom that you're currently in. The kingdom that I'm building is not about who is the most powerful, or who has the most influence, or who uh, can affect the most change, but the kingdom that I'm building is about me. And it's always been about me. To, to the church in, in Rome that he's writing to, the, the, with a Jewish heritage, he's reminding them, listen, it's always been about the servant who would come and who would lay down his life. And so even as he speaks these things, there's, these things, there's echoes of the story that they grew up learning. The story of a kingdom, of a suffering servant who would come and die, and also of a king who would come and establish his kingdom that would reign forevermore. All of Psalms, you look at it and you read it, and they talk about, listen, there's a kingdom coming that's better than what we're experiencing now, and that kingdom will have no end. We see echoes of the prophecy of Daniel in this passage. And so all of this is just captured in what we're reading today. And then there's like some real human points in it too. James and John, these sons of thunder, they ask this audacious question of Jesus, right? Like, hey, we want to sit at your left and your right. Like there's a real human aspect to it. Blind Bartimaeus, who has been rejected and outcast for his whole life because he was blind and if you remember the, the, some of the other stories from the gospel, John talks about the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, hey, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? So there was this idea that, that Bartimaeus is blind and it's because of his sin and so he's rejected and outcast. But this is what Jesus has done. He has walked the path to Calvary and along the way he has seen those that are abused, that are rejected, that no one else wants, and he's called them to follow him. And we get to see that this morning. God, we pray that you uh, would open our eyes. Lord, I, I don't know that any of us are, are physically blind, but Lord, we are spiritually blind. God, we're often unable to see our own sin. The things that would separate us from you our, our view is tainted and, and, and we have an idea of what the kingdom should look like. But even that view is blinded 
to a degree. And so, Lord, we would ask that by the power of your Spirit, through the working of your Word, that today we would have eyes to see. And that when those eyes are opened, we, like Bartimaeus, would see the face of our Savior. And we would, by faith, take hold of that. And then when you, when you tell us to go, we would follow. God, we would go where you would send us and we would follow you. So, Lord, we ask, knowing that this only happens by the work of your Spirit, by your grace being poured out upon us, changing hard hearts and giving us hearts of flesh. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would do that today. As your people, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we continue to see that the gospel is all about Jesus. Even as it has implications for our lives, the story is not about us. It's about Jesus. We pick up, if you remember two weeks ago, we left off with the, the, the rich young man who went away sad, and Jesus is talking about this kingdom that he's establishing, and he, he said, but many who are first will be last, and the last first, in verse 31. And then again, now they're on the road. Jesus is always moving toward that end, to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. And, and we see him foretelling this. This is the third time. If you remember correctly, um, we, we've seen three different prophecies now of Jesus telling the disciples, listen, I know this has been sweet. I know it's been really good to be together, but there's a time coming where I'm going to be handed over and delivered to these people, you people, who are going to kill me and, and I'm going to be crucified. In uh, <clears throat> Mark 8.31, it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's when Peter said, no, not, that's not how you're going to do it, Jesus. And Jesus kindly, in love, maybe not kindly, but in love, rebuked Peter pretty firmly. Right? And then in Mark 9, 31, it's, he again is teaching them. It says, for he's teaching his disciples, saying, and then the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And then we have this passage, down the road. And everybody that's with them is experiencing two different emotions that you see here. They're amazed. They're in awe, right? They're amazed, and they're afraid. So many of our stories in the Gospel of Mark end with the disciples seeing Jesus, the God-man, work miracle, do something that only God can do, and their responses are awe and amazement or great fear. And so you're always going to have that with Jesus. When we rightly see Him, it's going to lead to awe and wonder and just beholding His beauty. And it's also going to lead to some fear, like... Wait a second, that means that He's God and He has authority and lordship in my life. And so there's this, there's a real fear there. He can tell me what to do. And, he, and then He takes the twelve aside. So that's kind of the, the, the crowd as a whole. But He grabs His twelve disciples and He pulls them aside and He begins to teach them and recall again, what is the goal? What is the mission? What am I doing here? Verse 33 saying, see we are going up to Jerusalem. 
And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. I'm sure that in all of these teachings, all of these prophecies about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, the disciples are having a hard time understanding. And one of the reasons that they're having a hard time understanding is because they're thinking of what does the kingdom look like? Like it's got to look like I'm free and I'm delivered and I get to, I'll be whole. All of the things that God has given us, I'm going to have. All the things that He's promised, I will finally have. And so they're looking to see how Jesus is going to tear down the Roman Empire that's, that's abusing the Christians, that's bringing harm to them. And then they're waiting and they're trying to see, God, what, okay, Jesus, this is the time, right? This is where we actually get to, to begin to be in control of our own destiny rather than being ruled over by everyone else. And Jesus is continuing to say that, listen, that's not the kingdom that I'm bringing. Because that kingdom, if, if that was the kingdom that I was bringing, it would pass away, it would be done. But the kingdom that I'm bringing is an eternal freedom. It's a kingdom that will never pass away. And as we read this, we think, man, how, how does this happen? How do these crowds that are, that are inspired and in awe of what God is doing in the person of Jesus Christ and seeing Him heal and seeing all of the good things that He's bringing to people, how do they kill Him? Well, Jesus says that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And, and when we first talked about this, we, we really emphasized, listen, this is not the plan of the scribes and the chief priests. This is not the plan of, of Pilate and, and Herod and those figures that were in charge. This is the plan of God that He would bring His Son and then He would deliver His Son over to people so that His Son would be murdered and crucified. And that blows our mind. Because when we think about establishing a kingdom, we really struggle with, wait, that's not how you establish a power. That's not how you establish rule and authority. That looks weak. And yet this was the plan of God since the beginning of time. Not just since Jesus. No, this has always been the plan of God. We have it in Isaiah verse 53, or chapter 53, right? This idea, this prophetic vision of a, a king who would come, a suffering servant who would come and lay down his life for the people of God to pay a debt that they could not pay to restore them to a God who is holy and perfect and righteous. See, Jesus understood his role and his place in the context of all of Scripture. And so he's teaching the disciples. He's patiently, like really patiently telling them the same things over and over and over. So that in the coming weeks, as he enters into Jerusalem and these things begin to play out, they have hope. They begin to trust even more because, no, Jesus said this would happen. Even as they desert him. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 says this, And it, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's the Jesus that Isaiah is prophesying will come. That's the Savior that we need. That the nation of Israel needed to be restored to a holy God. And so when Jesus uses the term the Son of Man in verse 33, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests. It has these echoes of Daniel 7. Daniel 7, 13-14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. In Mark 1, Jesus comes and he says, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the kingdom that he's talking about. It's a kingdom that, can't, that doesn't depend on who's in power. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It's an eternal kingdom that Jesus is establishing through His life, His death, and His resurrection. An entrance into that kingdom is through faith and faith alone. And we've seen how that plays out in the disciples' lives. We've seen how that plays out in those that are hurting, those that are rejected as they begin to say, Jesus, You are that King. You are that Savior that I need. And we see it at the end of today's passage. Jesus is really patient. He's teaching these disciples. Listen, this is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like suffering and dying. It looks like me laying down my life as a ransom to redeem a people that don't deserve redemption. Jesus is talking about his death, and it's super, it's somber, right? It's very real. (laughs) And immediately you get James and John coming up. Jesus, yeah, that that whole death thing, we get it. Like, okay, you said it a lot. Stop with that. But seriously, can one of us sit at your left and your right when your kingdom comes? Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Man, that is uh, gutsy and sounds like they are missing it. And yet, how often do we come to Jesus and say the exact same thing? Maybe not the exact same words, but as Chris talked about our hearts, in our hearts, we have things that we want of Jesus. And really, we want Him to give, the, give us those things. We want a better marriage. We want kids that listen. We want to be kids that listen. We want... God to work out the circumstances of a job. We want God to, to provide in whatever way we think we need provision. And so often we approach Jesus the same way that James and John are approaching him. Even in those moments where we know, yes, God, I know that you've saved me, but I'm, 
as soon as we get to the but, it's like, wait a second, maybe we, maybe we missed it. Not maybe, we missed it. No, God, you saved me. That's all I need. You've done the one thing that no one else could do for me. And here come James and John. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? I want to take both of these stories because if you jump down um, to verse 46, they, they come to Jericho. There's the, the beggar Bartimaeus, the blind beggar Bartimaeus, and he's crying out and he's, and he's asking, he's, he's begging for everything that he needs. He's a man who's helpless and he knows it. He, he has people leading him by the hand because he can't see where he's going. He has no ground to stand on in and of himself. No reputation except being that of a beggar because everybody seemed to know him. Nothing that he's bringing to the table that would say, hey, I'm, I'm a good man. I'm the guy that you want to be around. He has none of that. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That is one of the most beautiful, faith-filled cries you'll ever hear in the Bible. This idea that Jesus is the Son of David points to the, to the understanding that they had that the Messiah would come and He would come through the line of David. And so Bartimaeus is saying, you are that man, Jesus. You are the Savior that I need. Will you hear me? Have mercy on me. And these uh, arrogant, misguided disciples begin to rebuke him, just like they did with the children uh, earlier in the chapter, because they, they know what Jesus is doing. And Jesus hears him. Because he calls out a second time. He's not stopped by their rebuke. He presses in and he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him. And he calls him to himself. And then in verse 36 and in verse 51, Jesus says the exact same thing to both James and John as they come to him and Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? So what is the difference between those two? What's the difference? If, if Jesus is asking them both the exact same question, what do you want me to do for you? Then what is the difference in the story? The difference in the story is the posture that both come to him with. You look at James and John and they come with this posture of, of arrogance, this posture of deserving. And if you think it's just James and John, remember that Peter had already said, when Jesus calls the rich man and he says, hey, you're going to have to leave everything, Peter goes, oh yeah, we, we, what about us, Jesus? We left everything. And Jesus promises, hey, everything that you left, I'm going to restore to you. Like, Jesus isn't, he's kind in that moment. And he's kind to James and John here. And he says, listen, how, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? You see, Jesus is walking even though He is King. And, and I love, man, God is so kind to us. 
The, the prayer of confession, in, the, in this Jesus, we have the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see the character of God. The character of God is one that would, the character of Jesus is one that would not see that, hey, glory is what I need. No, he would, obedient to the Father's will, comes and humbly lays down his life for us. That's what we're supposed to walk in. Not a desire for glory, a desire for possessions, a desire to get more like James and John are doing. And the, the crazy thing is they say, yes, we can. We can drink that cup. They don't know what they're saying in that moment. The cup that Jesus is talking about is, is the cup of suffering, the cup of the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on Him. And in a few weeks, we're going to see Jesus come to the Garden of Gethsemane and He says, God, this cup is so heavy. It, can you take this cup from me? And yet, not my will, but yours will be done. That's the greatest man ever, longing that that cup that he has to drink be taken from him. And here James and John are, yeah, we got that. We can drink that cup. The crazy thing is Jesus says, yes, actually you can and you will, because they're going to follow Jesus. After Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this power is displayed, and then he ascends into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, and he sends his Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit, combined with the testimony and the witness that, that the disciples have of Jesus' life, empowers them to go and walk in the way that Jesus walked. To lay down their lives. James, we're going to find out, is the first martyr. The, the first of the disciples to be martyred for his faith. In Acts 12, 1, and 1 through 3, it says, Herod... The king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. James is going to go, and he's going to drink the cup. He will be baptized, but he has no idea about that in this moment. In this moment, it's his flesh and his pride that says, yeah, I could do that. And yet Jesus in his kindness knows, like that. That is the testimony that's going to go forward, is that James and John will lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. It's also what he calls us to. Often we think, well, those men were special. Listen, if there's anything that we've seen from these men, they're not special. They're just like us. They, they're confused. They forget. And then they go and do awesome stuff and then they forget again. They get Jesus wrong all the time. There's nothing special about them except that by the power of the Spirit and through the working of the Word, they follow Jesus. That same power, that same Word work in our lives so that we too can follow Jesus. But if you have an idea that by following Jesus, you're going to begin to get all these things. You're going to get honor. You're going to get glory. Everything's going to start to work out. You haven't read it. So let's start there. Let's read it together. And we've been doing it, and it's really sweet. Because what we don't have is a God who gives us everything that we want, although sometimes He will ask us, what do you want from me? Sometimes He'll give us those things, but only if they're good things for us. A 
according to what he defines as good. But what we have is we have a Savior who, like us, has suffered with us. And meets us in our suffering. That's what we have in Jesus. 1 Peter 4.13, and we've referenced it a couple times because Jesus continues to talk about suffering. But it says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's going to come a day where we won't suffer. If all of this is true, there's going to come a day where Jesus will come back and he will establish a, a, a real kingdom, a tangible kingdom, not just the spiritual kingdom that he's already enacted, the freedom that he's already enacted, but a, a real kingdom on earth, heaven on earth. In that kingdom, there will be no more crying, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sin, there will be no more separation from God. There will just be the beautiful face of Jesus, our Savior. And we will know him and be known fully, and it's going to be sweet. And until then, we have that same thing right now, today. We can be known by Jesus completely. And with no sin and shame because He has taken our sin. And He has given us His righteousness. And so I don't have to wait for glory. I have it right now, the perfect presence of the suffering Savior in my life. That's amazing. That should be the good news that would stir in our hearts and we would say, listen, I've got to tell these people. I've got to tell my neighbors and I've got to tell myself and I've got to tell my family and I've got to go tell people I don't know and I've got to share it at work. Like, this is good news. I have a Savior who suffered in my place. And because of that, I can know Him and be known by Him. Looking at James and John, and before you begin to single them out, it says that the other disciples were indignant. I don't know if it's that they're indignant because they're like, man, that was really insensitive of you two. After Jesus talks all about how he's going to go and die and you just come up and you're all glory hungry. Or maybe they were indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. Like from what we've seen, my guess is B. <laughs> but either way... They're indignant, right? They're, they're frustrated. And this is the second time this, in this chapter that the word indignant has been used. The first time was Jesus was indignant, right? When they blocked the children from coming to him. And now the disciples are indignant. Their ire is rising up because their pride and their jealousy over that place, the right and the left hand, they probably envisioned themselves there. We know Peter did. And so this... The beauty of that is that that's where we all wrestle. We all want that right now. We all want that power. We all want that position. Some of us don't even want it to, to lord it over others. We just want it so that we won't suffer anymore. So that we won't hurt anymore. So that we'll be in the one in control. So that we won't have everybody else affecting us. And yet that's not where God has called us to. And so we get to walk with him, knowing that this suffering servant is with us. I love the patience of Jesus with the disciples. It gives me hope. It gives me joy. It, it's a mirror. It, we get to look at it and say, man, I do that same thing. I'm the, 
I'm the worst of sinners, as Paul would say. Chief of sinners. And yet, Jesus came to die for a sinner like me. And why is Jesus patient with them? Because this kingdom that he's bringing is not going to be told to them by anybody else. Right? Every other voice that they hear is going to shout of a different kingdom. It's going to shout of a kingdom that they have to go out and they have to make for themselves. It's going to shout that they have to take care of their family and protect them. It's going to shout that they have to build their own castles and their own walls. Right? They have to be powerful. They have to be influencers. They have to manipulate people around them to get what they need. That's what everything else is shouting. And Jesus knows that the way that he's leading them is contrary to everything else that they're hearing. So he's really patient. He's kind. And he repeats himself over and over. And thankfully, you and I have this. That the Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts so that as we read this, God says the same thing over and over. He's patiently working in us and conforming us and transforming our hearts. Like we talked about in the prayer of confession so that our hearts would be true and genuine. So that we wouldn't be warring for those things anymore. We wouldn't want them or, or need them because we have them in Christ. So that's James and John. Jesus asked the same question of, of Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do? In verse 51, And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. All he wants to do is see. Now we think that that's selfish, but what we have is, is what happens when he is given that gift of recovered sight. You read on and it says, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and it doesn't end there, and followed him on the way. That's how you know, like Bartimaeus is asking this out of faith. Because when he's given what he asks for, he follows Jesus. Like, that's what, that's what we need. Like, whether we get what we want or not, are we following Jesus? Is that the fruit of what's going on in our life? Are we pursuing him and chasing after him and saying, listen, God, you've done this for me. I want to follow you. I'll go where you go. Bartimaeus says, Faith. Faith in a Messiah who would come from the line of David. Faith in the one who is coming to restore and establish a kingdom unlike any kingdom that he's known. But see, the, the disciples have that same... They're blind. They're spiritually blind. They, they're dull-witted. They're dumb. They... They hear the same things over and over and they're not getting it. And yet Jesus is opening their eyes too. Even as He, in the moment, miraculously heals and opens Bartimaeus' eyes, the same miracle is happening in the lives of the disciples and in our lives. Our eyes are being opened. We're seeing Jesus. We're being transformed and conformed into His image and then we're walking after Him. He's patiently opening our blind eyes. And the opening of eyes leads to obedience. Like, 
Like we can't just be satisfied with the gift. What does the gift produce? It produces following him in the life of Bartimaeus. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You see, life change and love and and all and faith and all the things that we talk about that don't seem tangible play themselves out in a very tangible obedience to Jesus. And if they're not producing obedience, then we have to go back and we have to say, do I really believe that? Am I really asking out of faith? Or am I just wanting Am I just wanting things to be better, things to be easier? Maybe like James and John, you want that glory. Or do I want the gift so that it leads to obedience and following Jesus? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So sandwiched in between these two uh, asking of, of Jesus saying, what would you have me do for you? We have this beautiful, concise passage of the purpose of Jesus. If you look, verse 42, verse 41, sorry, 42, after the, the disciples were indignant at James and John, 42, Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who, considered, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what true honor and glory look like. This is what true uh, discipleship, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It looks like serving. It looks like laying down your life. And I've said it before, but we all have this like heroic idea of diving in front of a bullet, laying down your life. But you look at Jesus and the call, yes, on the cross, he lays down his life and he dies, but all of his life was laying down his will in obedience to the Father's will. And so for you and I, dying may look like daily waking up and saying, God, not what I want. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Following him in that way. I love the promise that's in this passage. It says, but it shall not be so among you. That's both a command and a description. So it, it's, it really is the call. Like, listen, that. The whole world is made up of people that, where you rule over somebody because you have power and then you lord it over them. And then you become one who changes culture and influences things. And yet Jesus is saying, but, but I'm calling you not to exercise authority over others, but to serve them. And if you are following me, it's not going to be like that among you. That's got to be a challenge for us today because we live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And we try to, to balance that so that we don't rock the boat often. And I'm the biggest culprit. And yet Jesus is saying, no, look, my kingdom does not look like the kingdom of this world. So don't try to bring that 
and put that on my kingdom. But let my kingdom influence the way that you live. That you would serve, that you would lay down your life as a, a, to, to serve others. That the last will be first and the first will be last. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. That, that word slave, we have a hard time with that. That means I'm stripped of my rights. It means I'm not in control of my life anymore. And that's what God is calling us to. That's what Jesus is calling you to. Paul says that you were slaves to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. You were chained to those things, but now you have a different Lord, a different master that you serve. We serve King Jesus. We serve Him with a, with a joyful, with a, 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 a happy heart. But we serve. Some of you have been in the military and, and you know like when, it, when we start talking about service, that you're not in control of your life anymore. That's the same type of thing that we're talking about. Now you have a new king who tells you what to do. A new king who tells you where to go. The beauty of it is he goes with you. He doesn't send you and then you're just off on your own. No, he goes and he has been. And this is what Jesus is doing. For even the Son of Man, he doesn't call us to do something that he hasn't done. But he calls us to go with him in laying down his life. Because all of this is not possible in and of our own strength. It's not something we can just conjure up and say, oh, I just need to pers- be a better person, serve more, change that heart so that now not only am I serving with my, my actions and my words, but I'm serving with my heart too. No, that doesn't happen because we were rebels. We are Gentiles like he's talking about here that lorded over people and that want what we want. And because of that, Jesus came and He laid down His life. The the plan of God since the beginning of time was that He would send His Son Jesus as a ransom. As one who would make payment for us who could not pay for ourselves. Listen, in the the movie Ransom, Mel Gibson, uh, I just was thinking about like being kidnapped. If you're kidnapped, you can't access what you need to pay the ransom for yourself. That's part of being kidnapped. Taken. You need someone else to pay that ransom for you. You are completely helpless. That's that's our state. That was our state. And Jesus came and he paid the ransom. He laid down his life and he paid the ransom for us. Who could not pay it in and of ourselves. But if we believe that that's true. Then the ransom has been paid. And we are free. Free not to do what we want to do. Free to follow Him. Freed to go and serve the Master. Freed to... to, Listen, if there's a Master that you want to serve, it's this one. He sees people where they are. He invites them in. He loves them. He gives them sight. He gives them everything they need. He heals their bodies. He gives them joy and a new purpose. And that's all that we long for. And we have it in Jesus. So today I pray that we would grab hold of that. I pray that we would believe that that's true. Listen, it's so hard. You're like 2,000 years ago. That's like way way back there. 
how does that affect me today? It affects me today because that was the moment. Whereas if I, if I am in Christ, on that moment, on the cross, that's where I was saved. That's where He took me from death to life. And so it matters that Jesus became the ransom for me then. And it matters that He became the ransom for you then. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Praise God, we've been bought with a price. A price that we couldn't pay, He paid for us, and now He invites us to follow Him. Today we're called to repent and believe. Right? Repent. Repent means we're going to turn away from that thing that we were walking towards back to Jesus. And maybe repent, you just need to repent for your lack of faith today. Your lack of trust. That you haven't thought that God's good. Or that you haven't thought that he's actually in control. So he's one of two things. He's either not in control and he's not powerful like the Bible says that he is. Or he's not good like the Bible says he is. So we need to repent of those things. God, have mercy on us for forgetting and for for walking and living like that's not true. Because it is true. Maybe today we need to repent of ways that we've jockeyed for position or prestige. Or we've tried to, to make this life the most important life. Like James and John. Maybe today we need to repent of rebuking the marginalized and broken instead of bringing them to Jesus. I know as I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm like, man, God, there's so many people that I've, I've with my words and my actions just left them marginalized or, or even excluded them more. And so just... God, would you change my heart? Will you help me to see them with your eyes? So we need to repent of those things. The beauty of it is as soon as we, as soon as we repent, like he's already done the work. He's already done the work to change us. And so today we need to believe that the Son of Man has paid our ransom. That we were broken. We were without the ability to pay the ransom for ourselves. But Jesus, the Son of Man, has done that. On our behalf. We need to believe that he is healing. That he heals blind Bartimaeus. And he's healing today. That he's restoring. That he's redeeming people. We need to believe that he's a God of mercy. That is sufficient for sinners. Son of David. Have mercy. And that his mercy is sufficient for us. We need to believe that he's coming again. And that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Shall not pass away. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you, God, for the truth of your word. We thank you that today we, we get to stand with everyone who has uh, come before us. We stand in a long line of sinners who have, been, who have been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the payment, the atonement that he made at the cross that reconciles the rebellious and wayward people that changes our hearts. It gives us a heart that would long to know Him, to serve Him, to walk in obedience with Him. God, and at Calvary, You did that. And so, Lord, we thank You that we, we are that people today. Pray for those, Lord, that are still wrestling with that belief. Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. 
But today would be the day that they say, listen, I've served my own kingdom and it's got me nothing. But this king, he seems different. This king seems good. This king seems powerful and worthy. Lord, and that they would choose today to serve King Jesus. Letting go of their own rule and dominion over their lives and serving you. God, and then even as we've done, maybe some of us have done that before, but we we try to cling back to it, Lord. Would you just help us to trust and believe that you are good, that you are powerful, that you are mighty to save, that you are a God full of mercy, who loves His people so much that He would lay down His life for us. We thank You, Lord, for today. Thank you for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. We thank you for the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. Lord, the Spirit of God that dwells inside of the believer. God, we couldn't couldn't make this true in our own hearts, and yet you're doing that, God. Continuing to expose the areas that need to be changed and conformed, and then then you do the change. God, you're so kind. We love you so much, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name. Amen.